certainly rejoice in what we've heard. Praise God. The kingdoms of men will fall, but the kingdom of God will never fall. The more they tried to stamp it out, the more God raised it up. So very interesting that Brother Luke brought that message there because it, it ties right into some thoughts that the Lord has given me this morning. And to begin, I want to start with Galatians, the fourth chapter and the 26th verse. And if you want to go ahead and put your finger there, and then we're going to jump back over to Second Chronicles 36. And we're ultimately going to wind up parking for a while in the book of Ezekiel. Now, when I first had these thoughts regarding Ezekiel and a couple of the other prophets that lived in the same time, uh, I began to study primarily on the life of Ezekiel in the book of Ezekiel, which is a very mysterious book. But I think in order for us to understand uh, where Ezekiel is coming from, that we need to have an understanding of Galatians 4 and 26. Because Jerusalem, as Brother Luke has already spoken of, the destruction of Jerusalem, which, by the way, was in the same time frame in the days of Jeremiah that I'm speaking to you about regarding the days of Ezekiel, because they were contemporaries. I want to speak to you about the prisoner, Ezekiel, and the, specifically the prisoner's hope. Now, Jerusalem was the place to be for the Jews. You may pause and think in your life about places that just have enriched, and I'm not talking about uh, from a natural standpoint, but I mean from a spiritual and heartfelt standpoint. I think of my own parents' house, my own mother's house, who I'm so glad is uh, still in that house. You know, if, if something came along, if a tornado came along and wiped out that house, I would go and stand in the ruins of that house and, and probably weep like a child. Now, some of you may be saying, well, Brother Tim, you're too tied to this earth. Well, I get that. I get that. But I got a lot of great memories there. And in a much greater way, the nation of Israel, the nation of Judah, that's how they felt about Jerusalem. It was their mother. And in one of the definitions of the word Jerusalem, it's even referred to as mother. You see, Jerusalem was the mother. It was the, the home base. It was the residence where the children of Israel would return to and look to. Where was it that Jonah looked to when he was in the belly of the whale? We spoke to you last week. It says he looked to the temple. The temple was in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. You see, the way they felt about Jerusalem was like you would feel towards your mother in a, in a national way. That was home to them. You know, I feel very much sentimental about McCool Farm, McCool Road, my mother's residence. That's a place where I feel at home. I feel all of my memories swell around me there. My greatest memories that I've ever had from my grandmother's house to my mother's house. It's just a great place in my mind. I'm so thankful for that place. And it is a natural place, I get that. That's how these folks felt in a much greater way about Jerusalem. But notice in Galatians 4 and 26, it speaks of a greater Jerusalem. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Now it's important as we consider the prisoner's hope that we see that the word free right there, Jerusalem, which is above, is free. 
And it's the mother of us all. Speaking of the children of God, not just the Jew, not just the natural Jew, not just natural Israel, but the spiritual Jew. Jerusalem, which is above, is the mother of us all. Isn't it interesting that God calls this particular entity, this mother of us all, isn't it interesting that he refers to it even in heaven as Jerusalem? An earthly city that has a, a, a crown, in a sense, if, if you could put it that way, the Lord recognizes that name in heaven. Something very important. And I think it's very relevant on this particular Mother's Day, as we're all thinking about our mothers, in regard to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that's what Jerusalem, which is above, is. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's free. You see, as Brother Luke has wonderfully proclaimed in the, in the king or kingdom or virus or anything that can stamp out the kingdom of God. And the, and the reason that is, is because it belongs to God, you see. And it's free. The word free, and I think this would be very significant for someone like Ezekiel, who's a prisoner that we'll speak of in just a moment, to recognize that freedom meant to be unrestrained, to go about at your pleasure as a citizen, not as a slave, and also to be exempt from liability. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, as citizens of Jerusalem, which is above, child of God, we are exempt from the liability of our sins. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's glorious to know that the Lord has exempted us from being liable for our sins as citizens of that great city. Now remember this. That Jerusalem which is above, which is the mother of us all, our loving mother, it is above. And yes, it is eternal. But there is also a visible presence of that mother, of that Jerusalem here on this earth and it is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ so don't ever forget that it's more than just us not being able to assemble together it's more than just brother Tim misses you which I do it's more than we hadn't been able to shake hands or hug necks or sit and break bread across from each other like we do it's more than that child of God because what you're dealing with here is Jerusalem, which is above. It belongs to God. It is His wife, you see. If Jerusalem, which is above, is our mother and we are her children, then the Father is the Heavenly Father and the wife of Jesus Christ Himself. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. So you're dealing with more than just, oh, I don't get to go and check that thing off of my list that I check off each week, which is church. No, we're dealing with a much greater entity than just the place where Brother Tim or Brother Luke or Brother Neil or some of the others get up and speak. <laughs> we're dealing with the mother of us all. We're dealing with the heavenly Jerusalem, the holy city. We're dealing with that which is the bride of Jesus Christ. And you, child of grace, are blessed and privileged to be a part of that. To assemble and look at and awe at the, at the mother of us all, which is Jerusalem. Now let's jump back over to 2 Chronicles 36 as we set the stage for what's going on in the days of Ezekiel. And Brother Luke has already given us a good portion of that about the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, where we jump in in 2 Chronicles 36 is where all that's going on. And I want you to notice what preceded this terrible situation in Judah. 2 Chronicles 36, 15, it says, The Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. That's Jerusalem. That's the temple. 
But they mocked the messengers of God. Oh, may that never be our case, that the messengers of God are mocked because the world mocks them. Those that are will never be the messengers of God. The atheist mocks the messengers of God, but ne may it never be said that God's people would mock the messengers of God. But they did in this day and time, and they despised God's words and misused His prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against His people. And this gives me a chill when I read it, till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. This is that time that Brother Luke was talking about when they besieged the city and even the young to the old were massacred and destroyed. And look, even in the sanctuary, the, the soldiers of the Chaldees went in and slew the children of God in the sanctuary of God. They had no compassion upon young man or maiden, old man or him that stooped for age. The old man walking around with his cane trying to shuffle and get away, those soldiers just came came along and wiped them out. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his princes, all these he brought to Babylon. You say, well, why is that in there? Well, that's in there because it was important to God what was in his temple and what went on in his sanctuary. And you'll also read about those vessels later in the book of Daniel, many years down the road, about 60 or 70 years down the road. Verse 19, and they burnt the house of God and break down the wall of Jerusalem and burnt all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof and them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. And I'll pause right there. We'll come back to that at the close here this morning. This is the setting of the days of the prisoner Ezekiel. Around 600 B.C., in the twelfth year of Nebuchadnezzar, yes, that Nebuchadnezzar that was put out to pasture, and this is in the second wave, Ezekiel's life, we come into focus on Ezekiel's life in the second wave of captives taken about eight years after Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and those guys had been taken. This is a time when the uh, prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, but it is imminent. It's coming. Jeremiah has been prophesying about the destruction of Jerusalem, that, that city where God would come and dwell, what they viewed as the mother of them all. This was the capital city of, of Judah, and it was also the place where God would come and abide at times. Brothers and sisters, this was a time of international crisis and conflict. Can we identify with that? international crisis they were taken away from their homes their homes were burnt with fire and the only thing left standing at least in the time when ezekiel was taken was the jerusalem itself but the destruction of jerusalem was coming don't you know that those jews who were in captivity feared every message that came along because somebody's going to come and tell them yes they finally wiped it out they finally burnt the temple they finally took down every stone you know how we say sometimes, oh, uh, my granddaddy or my grandmother would roll over in their grave if they knew this was going on or that was going on. I tell you, if it was possible, David the king would roll over in his grave if he had seen the things that was going on in this day and time, hundreds of years after his reign. So when was this happening? Around 600 B.C. That's about 2,600 years ago. You say, how can something that far back can be relevant to us today? It is relevant for the very reason that you have a heavenly home waiting for you. It is relevant for the fact that the scriptures are given to us for comfort and for exhortation and for examples. 2,600 years ago, in the days of this international crisis, 
Ezekiel was taken as a prisoner. And where was he taken? He was taken, according to history, to the prison camp, which was on the River Kibar, which was an irrigation channel that had been dug out of the River Euphrates, and it went around, uh, history says, it went around the city of Babylon as an irrigation channel so they would irrigate their crops and provide water to the city. So you can picture they're not taken into Babylon like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They're not in the the throne room and in that great, grand, amazing, one of the seventh wonders of the old world. They're not in Babylon. They're out in the prison camp down by the river Kibar. This is the place where you read that they hung their harps upon the trees when it was demanded of them by the Babylonians to sing them a song. They said, sing us a song. You men are, you people are good singers. We've heard about the way that you sing. We want you to sing us a song. And they were so overwhelmed with sorrow that they could not sing a song. They hung their harps on the willow trees and they mourned for what? For their mother. They mourned for Jerusalem. Some of you here today, no doubt, have lost your mother. You don't have a living mother on the earth anymore, but you know by grace and by mercy that you've got a mother. Your mother has been transported to heaven. It was with the Lord. But you don't have that mother here on earth. You can't run to her arms. Oh, y'all laugh and think it's all funny, but I tell you right now, unashamedly I say to you that if my heart was in such a bad state right here standing before you now, I'd run across this asphalt, I'd open that car door right over there where my mother sits, and I'd fall into her arms. I'm not ashamed to admit that. (laughs) You see, I have my mother. Some of you don't have your mother. These people had lost their mother. Jerusalem was soon to be completely destroyed and down by the river Kibar they mourned many of them no doubt thought we'll never go back again we'll never see our mother again we'll never have the opportunity to take a lamb to the temple and sacrifice we'll never have an opportunity to behold the glory of God descending in a cloud upon the temple mount here is Ezekiel the prisoner hopeless captive in the prison camp. The name, who are we dealing with here? The name itself, Ezekiel, means God will strengthen. And we read in the first chapter of Ezekiel, and no, I'm not going to re-preach the first chapter that we talked about a few weeks ago, although I would really like to because it fascinates me, but in the first chapter of Ezekiel, it says it came to pass in the 30th year. It's believed that that's the 30th year of Ezekiel, which, by the way, was the year that the priest, uh, of which Ezekiel was in the priestly line, that's the year that the priest started serving. Some of you who obviously read the Bible would also recognize that age 30 is the age whenever a very important figure comes on the scene about 600 years later, and he begins his public ministry. The Lord Jesus Christ was 30 years old. Interesting, huh? There's a lot of similarities between Ezekiel as a type of Christ Ezekiel's name means God will strengthen. He was about age 30 whenever it says that the vision came to him. He says, in the fourth month and the fifth day of the month, as I was among the captives by the river Kibar, that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. All throughout the the book of Ezekiel, the Lord, in speaking to Ezekiel, refers to Ezekiel as the son of man. He says, Son of man, prophesy this. Son of man, prophesy that. And that's another name for Jesus Christ that he is referred to in the Gospels as the Son of Man. Ezekiel was a contemporary with Daniel, with Hosea, with Isaiah possibly, and especially Jeremiah. 
Now I'm going to tell you, if you just sit down and begin to just peruse through the book of Ezekiel, you can become lost in all of the imagery and all the things that are going on. But here it says the very first thing that happened in Ezekiel's day, you're talking about a prisoner who has lost his mother, who has lost his motherland. Oh, that prisoner needs hope. And in the very first vision that God gives to Ezekiel, it says that the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. There's only three other individuals in the scripture that it says that the heavens were opened for. One of those was Jesus Christ. Whenever it says he was baptized and he came up out of the water and the heavens were opened and the Lord descended, like the, Holy, uh, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. Another place where it says that the heavens were opened is when that great martyr Stephen was stoned to death. It says that they were killing him and throwing rocks upon him and he looked up into the heavens and he said, I behold, the heavens are open. And he saw Jesus on the throne there himself, standing on the right hand of God, ready to receive that martyr into heaven as he was maliciously murdered and killed there by those wicked Pharisees. The next place, the third place that you see the heavens open is in the days when the prisoner John the Apostle was on the island of Patmos. And it says that on the Lord's day, on Sunday, that the Lord opened the heavens and transported that prisoner up into heaven. Oh, I tell you of oh, John who was very similar in some of his visions to Ezekiel I tell you that's a prisoner's hope and then to be transported from the captivity that you're in into a place where there is absolute ultimate freedom with no liability for your sins that's an amazing thing isn't it the heavens were opened. Three other men. Jesus Christ at a baptism. Whenever he was baptized. Whenever a man died as a martyr. And whenever we read about another prisoner. There's four total places. And those other three places. That's the only places in the scripture where the heavens were opened. And my oh my were the heavens ever opened. Before we go into that though. Remember that Ezekiel is a mysterious book. One of the commentators uh, from uh, the Jews. Actually they referred to this as the book of Ezekiel as being a labyrinth of the mysteries of God. So you think about how deep and even sometimes confusing some of these things that were brought to Ezekiel. You say, well, why would God have done that? If you were a prisoner down by the river Kibar and didn't have anything else to do other than to uh, eat and sleep and you didn't, you couldn't go anywhere, you couldn't go anywhere of your own accord, I would want to have something to meditate on and study on and this definitely provided it. Those folks could spend hours talking about the mysteries that were presented to Ezekiel by God. And by the way, the Jews would not let anybody read this Ezekiel according to legend until they were age 30 because it was so in-depth. Ezekiel himself and his message showed a vast knowledge of the book of Moses, the five books, the first five books of the Bible. He had an in-depth comprehension of the Levitical priesthood because he was a priest. And these visions that he were given were, according to one commentator, were sublime visions of divine glory and awful denunciations against Israel. But it closes, the last few chapters of Ezekiel closes with the message of hope of return and restoration to the motherland. But as I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, the initial vision here in Ezekiel, out of the gate, it's amazing. This is where Ezekiel sees a vision, the heavens were open, and he sees that great wheel within a wheel that was tied to the cherubim that were before the throne of God, and he sees through the seas of, sea of glass the same thing that John saw while John was in the throne room. John was in the presence of God in the throne room. Ezekiel is looking up into the throne room underneath that sea of glass, and he sees Jesus. I mean, you talk about something that would be grand and mysterious. Here in this foreign land, 
in the greatest empire of the world at that time, the Lord Ezekiel, the Lord shows Ezekiel a picture of himself that he is not restrained, God is not restrained, God is not subject to the king of Babylon, and the, the, the vision is just the Lord moving around, his throne room moving around that particular area. Nobody can restrain God, you see. I was thinking there while Brother Luke was talking about where is the Roman Empire? You know, I can stand here before you and I, if I wanted to, I could lambast every aspect of the Roman Empire from history of how wicked they were, how cruel they were, and all these. And who's going to tell me to quit? Is there a Roman citizen in the crowd? Is there anybody? That, oh, Brother Tim, now, you know, my great-grandfather was a Roman and he was part of You can't say that. It's gone. It's history. It's in the annals of history, you see. It's the Persian Empire, you see. <laughs> Now, it'd be a little different story if the Persian Empire was in existence and the Chaldee Empire was in existence and there were Chaldee guards or Babylonian uh, militia all around us. I might be a little timid to say the things that, I, uh, that Ezekiel said about the things that are written here in the Word. <laughs> but you see, those kingdoms have passed. Now, Ezekiel, as we move along, considering the prisoner's hope, I want you to understand that Ezekiel, he had some very interesting things revealed to him that this man was was quite unique first of all he's a prisoner and in chapter four i just want to read to you one of the things that god revealed to ezekiel now listen and maybe this will uh, interest the kids even more god told ezekiel to make a play for it and and play basically in front of the people play like a kid right in front of the people he says in ezekiel 4 and 1 thou also son of man you see what he calls him there Take thee a tile, like a tile like you would uh, put um, down in your house, uh, you know, a brick tile or something like that. He says, and lay it before thee and portray upon it the city, even Jerusalem. So build a little fake city, a little play city. And he says, and lay siege against it and build a fort against it and cast a mount against it and set the camp against it and set battering rams against it. Can y'all picture that? These people probably thought Ezekiel had lost his marbles. You know, they come out there one day next to the river Kibar, and Ezekiel's out there. He's got a tile, and he's built a little miniature city there, maybe out of mud or something, or sticks. And he's got, they say, oh, Ezekiel's finally lost it. That vision that he had of the Lord moving about the Babylon and his throne, he just, it just finally got to him. He's lost his mind. He's out there playing. <laughs> He's playing with a fort that he's built, and he's making this guy's attack Jerusalem. And he's what he's doing is he's following what God tells him to do to demonstrate what's coming upon Jerusalem. Now watch verse 3. Moreover, take unto thee an iron pan, and set it for a wall of iron between thee and the city, and set thy face against it, and thou shalt be besieged, and thou shalt lay siege against it. And this shall be a sign that you have lost your mind. No, he says this shall be a sign to the house of Israel. This man, prophet, out there playing, making a fort and building a fort and acting like a kid. And, you know, I can remember when I was a kid and I had these little army men and I would, the others would shoot at the others and you'd have all this fun with it. That's what Ezekiel is doing, but it's much more important than a, the child playing. He's demonstrating a sign of what's coming to Jerusalem. And you say, well, that's kind of odd. Well, it's not near as odd as what the Lord tells him to do next. The Lord tells him to lay down on his side for 390 days. And then when he finishes laying on his side for 390 days, he tells him to lay on his other side for 390 uh, for 40 days. I mean, this is bizarre stuff. This is the kind of thing that God was calling Ezekiel to do while they were down there in captivity. Now, you turn over to chapter 7 of Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel chapter 7, 
this is this is terrible. It's a terrible picture. It is a picture of desolations and how angry God was in the way that the people had abused uh, Jerusalem, the motherland. And the worship of God. He says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me. This is Ezekiel chapter 7. Saying, Also thou son of man, thus saith the Lord God unto the land of Israel. An end. The end has come upon the four corners of the land. That's horrible, isn't it? Now is the end come upon thee. And I will send mine anger upon thee. And will judge thee according to thy ways. And will recompense thee all thine abominations. And mine eye shall not spare thee. Neither will I have pity. But I will recompense thy ways upon thee. And thine abomination shall be in the midst of thee. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God. And evil, and only evil, behold, is come. An end is come. The end is come. Y'all think I'm just repeating myself. That's what the scripture says if you're following along. The Lord is pronouncing woes upon the motherland. It watcheth for thee. Behold, it is come. That sounds like a fire and brimstone uh, sermon like the old preachers that we hear would preach from time to time. Oh, the Lord's preaching fire and brimstone, destruction and judgment. It's terrible, isn't it? Ezekiel, the 8th chapter we read, where God actually took Ezekiel to Jerusalem. This is before Jerusalem was destroyed. <coughs> this is going on during the years leading up to the time whenever the, Lord, whenever the uh, Chaldees and the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. It says in Ezekiel 8 that he came to pass in the 6th year, in the 6th month, in the 5th day, as I sat in mine house, and the elders of Judah, Judah sat before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell there upon me. Now y'all picture this. If, this. if this physically happened, this would quite be a quite a sight to behold. But if it spiritually happened, at least this is what went on. Ezekiel's sitting there, maybe he's eating, and these other elders of Judah, they're in there with him and listening to him. And about that time, the hand of the Lord just whoop, comes down upon Ezekiel, and Ezekiel begins to convulse or whatever, and he has these visions. If the Lord physically took him, look what it says. He says, I beheld a likeness as the appearance of fire from the appearance of the Lawrence downward. This was Jesus Christ, by the way, that he saw. Verse 3, it says that he put forth the form of a hand and took me by a lock of mine head. <laughs> y'all ever, ever picked a little kitten up, you know, by the nape of its neck? You know, you pick it up and it kind of freezes up, paralyzed, you know. Well, he, the Lord reaches down with his hand and like a little kitten, he just grabs Ezekiel by the head, by the hair of his head, and whoop, he picks him up. Now, don't worry, it didn't hurt Ezekiel. But could you imagine, you're sitting there, you're eating breakfast, you're visiting with your friends, and all of a sudden the Lord reaches down with a hand and picks up your, by the head and takes you out of there. And he takes him to Jerusalem. That would be something. Well, you talk about the hope of a prisoner. They say, where'd you go when he gets back? What happened? Where'd you go? He says, I've been to Jerusalem. I've been to the motherland. Oh, don't you know that was encouraging to this prisoner? It says, the Spirit lifted me up between the earth and the heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Jerusalem, to the door of the inner gate that looketh toward the north. Oh, there's so many other things that we could cover about Jerusalem. We have to move, uh, about Ezekiel's visions, but we have to move on. You, read it, you can read in chapter 33, that's where it says the, the blood would be upon the head of the watchman for his sins if he didn't watch and cry out. Ezekiel 34 talks about how the woes were pronounced upon the shepherds of Israel. Now the reason I'm giving you all this sadness and all this negative and all this judgment is because in chapter 36 there's a shift. In Ezekiel 36 there's a shift. And in Ezekiel 37 we read one of the most beautiful pictures of the resurrection that you can ever imagine. And listen, Ezekiel, this prisoner who needs hope, and he needs to bring a message of hope to the people because they're all in captivity there. The message of hope is we're going to return to the motherland. We're going to go back. Even though it's been destroyed, even though it's been wiped out, the Lord says we're going back. 
And Ezekiel 37 is that wonderful uh, chapter about the, the valley of the dry bones. And if you ever want to see and read a picture of the resurrection, now this is what you've got here. As Ezekiel prophesies over those bones and the Spirit of God comes upon those bones, just a bunch of bones piled up in the valley, just dead bones dried up and no good. They're just useless. And as Ezekiel stood there, the Spirit of the Lord came upon those bones and he caused them to come together. Notice it says, Oh, ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And he says, I will call breath to enter into you and it says that I will lay sinews upon you verse 6 and upon flesh and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and as Ezekiel was there prophesying it says that there was a noise and behold a shaking you've never heard a shaking or a rattling of a bag of bones like these bones and the bones came together bone to his bone and as Ezekiel watched before his eyes the, the, the veins and the flesh and everything came back upon those bones because the Lord caused them to live you see you talk about encouraging as a prisoner. If you stood there and you watched a valley of dry bones come back together and be living flesh, breathing individuals, could there be anything more encouraging? Not only that, in verse 24, it says, And David my servant shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. I tell you, that was good news for a prisoner, one from Israel, one from Judah, because David was the greatest king they'd ever had. You see, that's good news. And in chapter 40, for the end of the chapter, from chapter 40 to the end of the book, 40 to 48, you have Ezekiel seeing a picture of Jerusalem, the mother, the motherland being restored. Ezekiel 40, in the 5 and 20th year of our captivity, in the beginning of the year, in the 10th day of the month, in the 14th year, watch this now, after the city, Jerusalem, was smitten, in the selfsame day the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me hither. And the importance of this is that this vision that he has is back at the motherland, back at Jerusalem, and it is a meticulous measuring of the city and of how it's going to be built back. After it had been destroyed. So you see, it doesn't matter how, far, how long these folks had been in captivity. It doesn't matter how many prisoners there were there. It means that if God wants it built back, if God wants Jerusalem built back, then it will be built back. Isn't it amazing? This is also the same similar vision that uh, John saw over in the book of Revelation. He spoke of the city of God. He saw it four square coming down out of heaven. Now Ezekiel's uh, vision was more towards the place in Israel, the place in Judah where Jerusalem was. But John's vision was towards the heavenly Jerusalem as a prisoner. Don't you know that it was encouraging? This prisoner prophesied of the capital city of God while he was captive in the capital city of the most powerful empire in the world. As we close out our thoughts here today, I'll take you back to 2 Chronicles 36 and 15 where it says that the Lord sent messengers and they mocked the messengers. And it says he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees who slew their young men with the sword in the house of the sanctuary, had no compassion on young or old. And all the vessels of the house of the Lord were taken to Babylon and they burnt the house of God. They break down the wall of Jerusalem. This is around the same time that Ezekiel had the vision of the city being built back. It says, there were, it says they were taken, they burnt the house of God and those that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon and they began, became servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. Now watch the language. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbath. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath for 70 years. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord spake in by the mouth 
spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus that he made a proclamation throughout all the kingdom and put it also in writing saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath the Lord God, Jehovah of heaven, given me, and he hath charged me to build him a house in where the motherland, Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all the people? The Lord his God be with him and let him go. Listen, child of God, I say to you this day, as we feel somewhat like prisoners, as we feel like we can't go about in the ways that we want to go, oh, we've never experienced what Ezekiel experienced. We haven't experienced what they experienced as a nation back then. But I want you to know, whenever the Lord says that it's time to build, whenever the Lord says to go back into the house of God, it's time to go back into the house of God, regardless of what men say. He says, who is there among you, among all this people? I don't know. I don't think Ezekiel was still alive at this time. But I tell you, the people that had listened to Ezekiel were alive. I tell you, the people that had listened to his preaching and listened to his visions were there. And they had hope. And I can just see them out there. Somebody goes out to the uh, river Kibar where maybe these prisoners are still in prison. Some of their descendants. Or maybe they're scattered out through the land. And, and somebody says, are there any Jews here? Are there any people here that would like to go back and see the motherland rebuilt? That would like to see the temple rebuilt? And you can see those little Jews raising their hand out there and saying, I'll go, I'll go. I've heard about this from Ezekiel. I heard about this from Daniel. I heard about this from Jeremiah. I heard that there was going to be a king named Cyrus that would rise up on the throne and he would be stirred back up to send the people back to build again. And that's exactly what happened in the days when Cyrus was stirred up by the Lord. Listen. Revelations 21 and verses 9 through 10. In a much greater way, John the Apostle prophesies of that city of God, that motherland. The angel comes to John in Revelation 21 and 9 and he says, Come hither and I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Don't you ever forget that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is the wife of God. You would not want anybody to mistreat your wife if you're married. <laughs> I would not want anybody to mistreat my wife. And neither does the Lord Jesus Christ want anybody to mistreat his bride, his wife. It says that he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. He says there was no temple therein because the Lord is the temple. It says the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. He says there was no need of sun and there was no need of moon because the Lamb is the light there. He says there was no need to shut the gates of this city because there is no night there. There is no danger that would come. He says there is no defiler and no abomination or no lie that would come into that city because the Lord has purged it of all sin and there was no more curse there, Revelations 22 and 3, in that city because the Lord has made sure that the curse has been completely put away through the sacrifice of his son. He says there was no candle that you needed to light your house there because the lamb again is the light of God. Let me tell you, child of God, as we go back and assemble back together in the sanctuary of God, may we remember that though we may have been prisoners or like prisoners, a subject to the things that are going on in the land, subject to a virus that seems to be ruling and reigning all throughout the world, I want you to know that you're not in prison in a way that you can't worship the Lord and you're, the kingdom of God is not in prison, the city of God is not in prison because the Lord, it is His wife and it is free, it is unrestrained. <laughs> There's a song that we sing in our songbooks, number 502. It speaks of that city. Listen, now this is the heavenly city, but this is what you get to come in and worship in, child of God. 
you can worship in the heavenly city, the portion of that heavenly city that is visible here on this earth in the, in the church of God. And here's a picture of that holy city in heaven. It says there is a holy city, a happy world above, beyond the starry great redeemer, built by the God of love, an everlasting temple and saints arrayed in white. They serve their great redeemer. They dwell with him in light. It is no world of trouble. The God of peace is there. He wipes away their sorrows. He banishes their care. Their joys are still increasing. Their songs are ever new. They praise the eternal Father, the Son, and Spirit too. The meanest child or the most humble child of glory outshines the radiant sun. But who can speak the splendor of that eternal throne where Jesus sits exalted in godlike majesty? The elders fall before him. The angels bend the knee. Is this the man of sorrows who stood at Pilate's bar, contemned by haughty Herod and by his men of war? He seems a mighty conqueror who spoiled the powers below and ransomed many captives from everlasting woe. The hosts of saints around him proclaim his work of grace. The patriarchs and prophets and all the godly race who speak of fiery trials and tortures on their way, they came from tribulation to everlasting day. Now with a holy transport they tell their sufferings o'er, their tears and their temptations and all the pains they bore. They turn and bow to Jesus who gained their liberty amid our fiercest dangers. Our lives are here. Let me tell you, you want to know what's hope for a prisoner? Let me tell you, the heavenly Jerusalem, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the wife of God, the bride of Jesus, it is not in prison. It is not restrained. It is not hindered by anything that this world could throw at it. It's his bride. It's his wife. And child of God, lest we misunderstand, it's not the brick and mortar of this building. It is you, his children. You see? You are the children of the heavenly Jerusalem. You are the adopted by grace children of God. And I pray that we would be comforted and understand like a prisoner like Ezekiel understood. The hope that we have is no matter what happens here, no matter when we return back into the sanctuary fellowshipping together, heavenly Jerusalem, the mother of us all, is not restrained. If your mother's alive today, you need to go and hug her. You need to tell her you love her. But mothers on this earth, they won't last forever. But the heavenly Jerusalem will go on forever. The mother Jerusalem will never die because the blood of Christ has made sure. If there's, if there's someone here that would like to follow the Lord in New Testament baptism, we give you that opportunity. As we said the first week when we did this, just drive your car down front and we'll take care of you. <laughs> By the time you get ready to be baptized, it will be back in the sanctuary. We'll have water back in the baptistry. So remember, the Lord will make a way. There's no doubt about that.